So today we get to hear from Mark 12:13 through 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Good morning. Even if I didn't want to talk politics this morning, be forced to by this passage. Of course, I do want to talk politics. So much going on this week, right? Justice Scalia died, the Nevada caucuses, Democratic caucuses yesterday, the South Carolina primary. It's crazy. The world is very political at the moment. At least all the news is. And I confess to you that I get a little anxious when I look at kind of the American political scene right now. There's a lot of crazy. Um, It causes some anxiety for me. Um, And I see that people are angry. Um, There's a lot of anger out of people. And and we see that from the candidates, the presidential candidates, and we see that just from people out there. Uh, Three headlines that I saw this week. Three revolts are shaking American politics. Uh, one, candidate, one candidate is executing a hostile takeover of a major political party. And another was titled, How to Break a Party. And you look at the, at the polls, and people are dissatisfied or unhappy with the president, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. Basically, that leaves nobody that people are happy with. People are angry and anxious. I want to suggest to you that, at least for me, I can't make a claim about everyone, but at least for me, my anxiety is not coming from a place of trust in God, but from somewhere else. I'm putting too much power and giving too much control to the American political system. People in Jesus' passage, or Jesus' day, and, and in this passage that we're looking at today, people there were angry. People are feeling revolutionary. They want to kick the Romans out. They're unhappy with the Jewish council. They want to kick the, Jew, the Jewish leadership out. The Jews of the day are angry and feeling revolutionary. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus does not disappoint those people by what he says in our passage today. Jesus is calling for a revolution. The Jesus revolution, he's calling for a, a religious and political. I want to emphasize the political a religious and political revolution. The Jesus revolution is here. He is king. He calls all kings and rulers to kneel before him. While humanity is building towers and monuments to ourselves and creating fancy logos, um, Jesus is calling all of us to submit our entire selves, our whole lives, to give everything we are to him, to lay down 
before him. He, God sits in the heavens and laughs at kings as they try to build their kingdoms. He terrifies kings and lords with this command. Kiss my son, he says, lest he become angry. I want to acknowledge beforehand that what I'm going to share with you may unsettle you, may make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, this may be a new way of seeing this passage. Um, let that unsettled feeling, that discomfort, drive you to Jesus. You may disagree with me. I'm okay with that if you end up in a place of disagreement. But let that discomfort drive you to more faithfully and more sacrificially following our Lord who gave himself up on a cross for you and me. And again, our anger and our anxiety suggest that some of us, myself included, may have put our trust in American politics. Let's let this morning move us closer to the king who died on a cross for us. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that I have put my trust in people and in systems that don't deserve it. I pray that you would unsettle my heart so that it may, so that it may find its rest in you and in you alone. By your spirit, would you reshape us this morning? so that we can follow Jesus more faithfully. Use your word to form us more and more to be like Jesus, our revolutionary king who died and rose again and who now rules over us. May your scriptures be alive in us today by the power of the Spirit. We love you. Amen. Imagine with me that we're going to the temple. We're going to hang out and follow a guy named Average Joseph, maybe. We'll call him, maybe we'll call him Joe. Um, we're going to follow him as he heads into the temple and watches this scene that we've just had read for us, the forest just read for us this morning. So Joe has come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Passover, the great feast celebrating what God did thousands of years before in leading the people out from under slavery to an evil king and his evil kingdom. God delivered his people from an evil king and the evil kingdom. And as Joe walks into the temple, or as he walks into the city even, he sees Roman guards, Roman soldiers, standing around the city. They're on street corners and just hanging out. That reminds him, ah, once again, we are being ruled by an evil king under his evil kingdom. The Romans, ruled by Caesar, are in charge. And Joe doesn't, isn't happy about it. There have been revolutions in the past. And Joe, maybe in his lifetime, has yelled at Roman soldiers and maybe thrown a couple stones. But there haven't been any successful revolutions for a couple hundred years. Joe wants Jesus, as he listens to him, to throw out the Romans, to overthrow the council, and to start a revolution. That's what Joe is hoping for as he listens to Jesus. And he hears some things from Jesus. One of the things he hears is that Jesus is really unhappy with the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin who rules over the Jewish nation. He's really unhappy with them. You've seen him tossing tables in the temple. And the last parable that Jesus just told, is, as Jackson led us last week, that last parable says the vineyard, the, the tenants of the vineyard have rejected God. They want to kill God's son, Jesus. Jesus has made a claim in that parable to being God's son, and he's made the claim that the Jewish council wants Jesus dead and wants God dead. They want the vineyard for themselves. 
Jesus is making revolutionary kinds of statements already. As Joe watches this scene, he's heard that, that parable. He's watching Jesus and he's watching the scene and he notices, hey, who are those guys? Those black robes, long beards, long robes. They're very serious, men. The Pharisees are coming over. And Joe maybe starts to get excited. He thinks, this is kind of cool. The Pharisees also kind of want a revolution. Maybe they're coming over to join Jesus. Maybe they're going to get it started. That'd be kind of exciting. He also notices, though, that with the Pharisees is this other group, the Backstreet Boys, the Herodians, who kind of actually are fancy guys like this. They would have been wearing lots of rings. They would have had short haircuts, nothing like the very serious and religious-looking Pharisees. The Herodians and the Pharisees do not get along. So for them to be coming to Jesus together is a very strange image for Joe. Teacher, says the Pharisee, we know that you speak the truth and don't care about anyone because you don't look at faces and show favorites. Joe's getting excited now. The Pharisees, like, complimenting Jesus. Maybe they really are going to start the revolution. Maybe this is the moment. We have a question for you, he says. Is it right for us to pay the poll tax or not? This is it. This is the question that Joe wants answered. Is it right to pay the tax? Let's go after him. Let's, he wants Jesus to say, we're not paying the tax. That's a blasphemous tax. We're not paying it. And he wants the Pharisees to join them. Let's overthrow those Romans. This is the moment. This is it. The revolution is going to begin. So Jesus says, appropriately, why are you testing me? Joe's shocked. This isn't the right answer, Jesus. These guys are, are with you. They want the revolution too. Why are you testing me? What's that coin you use for paying that tax? What's it called? A denarius. Bring me a denarius to look at. Joe is in shock. Jesus has just asked for a blasphemous coin in the temple. That coin with Caesar's image on it, the image itself is blasphemous. Having it as a Jew is a blasphemy. What the image says is son of God, high priest. Jesus is now holding a blasphemous coin in the temple. This is blasphemy. Joe is in complete shock. That Jesus would ask for this coin is crazy. That should not happen, especially in the temple. Anywhere in Israel, but not in the temple. More than that, a Herodian has one. It's even worse. The crowd is about ready to take the Herodian, throw him out. Jesus raises his hands, calls for quiet. The Herodian gives the coin to the Pharisee who brings it to Jesus. Jesus is now holding a blasphemous coin in the temple of God. Joe is going crazy. The crowd is in shock. He looks at it. Curious. It's possible, actually, that Jesus had never seen one of these. He turns it over, takes a look. He holds it to the Pharisees. Whose image and inscription is that? The crowd's confused. What does he care whose image? Jesus knows whose image that is. The Pharisee answers him, that's Caesar's image 
and inscription. This is the trap that Jesus has been set. He's holding a blasphemous coin in the temple. And they're asking him, should we pay the tax that requires this coin? Should we pay that tax? And Jesus, and the, so Joe knows, Joe looks around. He's like, shoot, the Pharisees. If Jesus says, pay the tax, the Pharisees are going to get him. If Jesus says, don't pay the tax, the Herodians are going to label him a revolutionary and they're going to have him arrested. Joe and the crowd is silent. Jesus looks over the coin. He looks around the temple. He takes the coin and throws it back in the Pharisee's face. Give this filthy coin back to Caesar. And he looks around the temple and give to God what belongs to God. The crowd goes crazy. People fall to their knees. Joe is standing there in shock. The Pharisee who has had the, throne, the coin thrown at him ducks away. He doesn't want the coin. The Herodians are disgusted. They're looking at each other. The Pharisees are looking around in shock. Everybody is amazed in the sense that they're in shock. This is a crazy moment. And Joe thinks to himself, did he just say what I think he said? Did he really just call for revolution? Did he really just claim, double down on his claim to being the son of God? Did he really just claim that the Sanhedrin is a blasphemous leadership, is a blasphemous group? What did he just do? Okay. Our job today is to try and understand what was it that Jesus is saying? Why is there the shock and amazement? And what does it mean for us to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God? How do we do that in this world today? Just a couple of reminders for you. Chapter 12 of Mark is a series of showdowns between Jesus and the Sanhedrin. The, the vineyard story that we looked at last week, this week, next week is the Sadducees, and there's a series, this whole chapter is a series of Jesus versus the Jewish ruling council. Again, this is the first group that they send, the Sanhedrin sends to Jesus to trap him. And next week will be the Sadducees. This question is the trap, right? If he says, don't pay the tax, he'll be arrested as a revolutionary. If he says, pay the tax, the people will give up on him and the Pharisees will be angry with him. Jesus is trapped. There are two possible answers to this question. Either answer gets Jesus in trouble. He can't answer either one. Another reminder, uh, the denarius, again, is a blasphemous coin. For a Jew or a Christian to be using this coin is to say that Caesar, we believe Caesar's claims about himself, that he is the son of God and the high priest. Again, even the image on the coin, just to have his face on the coin would have been blasphemous for the Jews. To hold it in the temple is a whole other story. And just a reminder that Israel is under occupation. The Romans have been in charge in Israel for 100 years. Before that, Israel's been under occupation for 500 years since the Babylonians destroyed the temple the first time. It's been 600 years since the Jews had real control over the nation of Israel. There have been a couple attempts at rebellion 
Uh, one, in, in Jesus' lifetime, the Zealots in A.D. 6, um, but it didn't go anywhere. The Romans crushed it very quickly. Uh, the last semi-successful rebellion was the Maccabees, a couple hundred years before this. And the Maccabees had this famous slogan. They threw out the Greeks, um, and the Maccabees had this slogan that said, Give to the Gentiles what belongs to the Gentiles, which means kill the Gentiles. So with those things in mind, what is it that Jesus is saying? What does it mean for us and for them to give to Caesar? There are three, I want to suggest three important but pretty unsatisfying ways of reading this text. Um, And godly and faithful men and women have held each of these three options Uh, So I want to say that by disagreeing with these options, I'm not calling anybody's faithfulness into question. I need to tell you that up front. Um, Godlier men and women than myself have held to these views. But I think Jesus calls us to something else. And on the screen, as we're going through these options, there are going to be a bunch of political logos and slogans. They're all political or revolutionary in some way, but none of them are Jesus. Okay, so three options. Option one, the two flags option. You got the Caesar's flag here and God's flag here. Caesar, God. Got to make sure I get my arms right. Are God and the government, God and the government, two separate realms, right? Where we give to Caesar on one hand and we give to God on the other. Many faithful Christians have read this this way. Philip Melanchthon, who was one of Martin Luther's friends, says it is one sort of thing that belongs to God and another sort of thing that belongs to Caesar. What pertains to the world belongs as a right to Caesar and what pertains to religion belongs to God. So many Christians have read this this way. Money, politics, work, military service, those belong to Caesar and God gets our worship. Unfortunately, this was the theology of the church in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. The church in Nazi, under Nazi Germany, typically, not every, all of the church, but a lot of the church said, well, Hitler doesn't stop us from worshiping so we can give our military service, our business, our taxes, all of that can go to Hitler. We will support Hitler as long as he allows us to continue worshiping God. For a picture of what this might look like in your life, imagine working at the American Pie Company and a new boss comes in. Let's call him for no particular reason. We'll call him Caesar. Um, Caesar comes in. You've got a nice job. You're doing well with your job. Um, And you've got opportunities to advance. You're doing okay. It's a good place. Um, Caesar comes in. He's the new boss. And you notice he's kind of shady. He starts doing some things that might be borderline illegal. um, And he starts asking you to do them too. You say, well, give to Caesar. It's no big deal as long as he allows me to continue my Bible study in the lunchroom over lunch break. I can give my worship to God and give my business life to Caesar. There's no conflict, no big deal. So you do. You continue working with Caesar. You've got no problem with continuing to do these practices. Caesar boosts profits, gets your business. God gets your worship. Jesus explicitly, I think, rejects this kind of thinking. When he says, give to God what is God's, I think it's pretty clear what he means by that is give everything to God. 
everything is God's. He's about to say that a couple verses later when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. All of you. He's not leaving out business or politics by not explicitly naming those, right? Everything, all of you belongs to God. Even Stephen Colbert for president belongs to God. These are not separate realms to Jesus. Ultimately, the idea of two separate realms where one is Caesar's and one is God's gives far too much control to God and takes from what belongs, sorry, far too much control to Caesar and takes from what belongs to God. Okay, so option, that's option one. Option two, the God flag is over Caesar's flag. Where God sets up, God owns everything, but God controls governments. And we submit to Caesar as long as Caesar demands nothing evil from us. We can do whatever Caesar asks as long as it's not explicitly opposed to God's law. Many commentators read the passage this way. They read, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar as, go ahead and pay the tax, it's no big deal. And by this, they think Jesus has escaped the trap that the Herodians and the Pharisees have set for him. He's escaping the trap. He's saying, okay, you can pay the tax and still, so he won't be arrested, but um, you're still keep your heart, give your heart to God only. Romans 13, uh, these interpreters use Romans 13. God uses authority for his purposes. And the American churches um, often are for American government as long as it doesn't make me do something evil. We support the American government's structure, decisions, wars, politics, as long as I can worship God and do what I want. And the way, so one suggestion is, the way that you really make a difference in the world is by using political structures. You get the government to change a law, for example. Berman Supreme. You've done worse and you know it. <laughs> Terrible. This guy's been running for president since 92. I like him. The way to really make a difference in the world is to get the government to either pass a law or defeat your enemies. That's the way we really make a difference. That's real power is political power. Right? For this option, imagine being at American Pie with the same boss, Caesar. Okay, you're back at your company. Caesar's illegal, doing some illegal stuff. And so you go to Caesar and you're like, I don't think this is appropriate, right? This stuff is illegal. And Caesar responds as you might have expected. Well, it's not really illegal. If you look at it from this other angle, don't worry about it. No one gets caught for this kind of thing. And it's boosting profits. So it's cool, right? You feel kind of caught. You're really uncomfortable with these practices, um, so you kind of are tempted to leave the company, but you know you won't be able to continue your Bible study, which is a really fruitful study. So you decide to stay. Caesar then asks you, okay, you have to move your Bible study from the public cafeteria, you have to move it up to your private office. From public to private. No big deal, you have a good office, people are going to come, you might lose some people, and the time is a little shorter, but that's all right. And Caesar stops asking you to do some of those illegal practices. He's not going to ask you anymore, which makes you feel a little better, except that you also notice that other people are being promoted over you, right? You're not going to participate. He's going to promote other people. Fair enough. So 
You don't feel great, but you feel okay. And you feel like, okay, I gave to God what is God's. That is, I gave him my worship and I still have a clean conscience before him. But eventually you do suspect that Caesar will give you a choice. Participate in the illegal practices, give up the Bible study, or leave the company. You're not sure what you will do if offered that choice. Okay, so you might be able to build a New Testament political theology that looks something like this. But that cannot be what Jesus is suggesting in this passage. That misreads the passage. For Jesus and for the Jews, Caesar asks for blasphemy. That he has already asked for evil. It cannot be that we can give to Caesar what is Caesar's unless he asks us to do something evil because he is asking for evil already. Rome demanded evil all the time. Blasphemy was one. False worship, violence, exploitation. Rome thinks it has real power because it can coerce you into doing what it wants you to do by violence and authority. That's real power to Rome. For Christians, Jesus is king. He is king. Caesar is not king. So what does it mean for us to call him king and at the same time give our allegiance to Caesar? To a nation, to an ideology, or a president. Yes, it's true that God uses evil rulers for his purposes. But that does not mean he has chosen to give us evil rulers for us to give our allegiances to. He has chosen a good ruler. Jesus is our ruler. Jesus is king. There is no other. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what will they confess? If you remember, Jesus is Lord. That's a political statement. That's a revolutionary statement. Caesar claims the title of Lord. That is not Caesar's title. That is Jesus's title. Not only that, when Jesus taught us to pray, what did he teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at the end of the prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever starts today. Forever and ever and ever and ever. This is a revolutionary confession and prayer. Ultimately, the idea of a realm that God has given to Caesar, God, Caesar, where we submit to Caesar as a God-given ruler still gives too much control to Caesar and takes from what belongs to God. Okay, so option three. No Caesar. The God only. The God flag only. There's only one flag and it's God's. Are we called to rebel against Caesar with violence? The Jews would do this about 30 years from this moment and they would be crushed. The temple's destroyed and it's never been rebuilt. This is the the um, option that says, okay, there's only God. We take down Caesar and we get everybody else out of the way. Some commentators agree with this. And I want to suggest to you that this is how Jesus listeners would have heard Jesus. The crowd would have heard violent revolution. Let's go. That's what Joe was hoping for. 
And that's what he probably would have heard. Uh, the word image that Jesus uses on the coin to, to ask about the coin, whose image is this? That word is used in two ways in the New Testament. It's used to either say Jesus and God, Jesus and humans are made in God's image. The other way it's used is in the book of Revelation to refer to the image of the beast. Those are the two ways that that word is used. I want to suggest to you that's the way Jesus is. That's the suggestion that Jesus is making here. Caesar is not God. Caesar is not a king. Caesar is a rival to God and he has opposed himself to God. He is, in fact, a beastly kind of king. And in Luke, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, Luke 23, the the accusations against Jesus are two. The first is that he claims to be Messiah, which is true. He claims to be a king. He has made that claim. Second, they claim that Jesus has said, don't pay the tax. Again, I want to suggest to you that that's also true. Jesus would, would have been heard to be saying, do not pay that tax. That's how people would have heard what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage. And again, Jesus uses a revolutionary slogan. You remember the Maccabees? Give to the Gentiles what they deserve. That is, kill the Gentiles. Jesus uses the same verb. He uses the same sentence structure as that slogan. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is, he's calling for revolution. Okay, for that option, go back to American Pie. Caesar's the boss. Caesar starts doing some illegal things. You walk up to his office and you cuss him out. He says, okay, you give up your Bible study or you're fired. And you say, you can take this job and you know where to stick it. You start picketing board meetings because he's doing illegal stuff. And eventually you get arrested for vandalizing Caesar's office. You at least can say, I didn't give anything to Caesar. Right? Here's the problem. Using Caesar's weapons shows what? That we believe Caesar, not God. Using Caesar's own weapons against him suggests that we believe Caesar really does have power, that he really is the most powerful one. We're not opposed to there being a Caesar. We just want to be him. When we overcome evil with evil, we say that we believe Evil, that's where the power is, right? Instead, Jesus is doing something different. He's rejecting the claims of Caesar. He proves himself king, not by killing, but by dying. The weapons of the kingdom of God are love, faithfulness, sacrifice. Our king, who is the true king, overcomes evil with good, and we are called to do the same. We overcome evil with good. So ultimately, the idea of a violent revolution against Caesar, where we refuse to give our allegiances to Caesar, but use Caesar's own weapons against him, still gives Caesar too much power. It still takes from God what belongs to him. Vengeance, power, final outcomes, the kingdom, those belong to God. Those are not mine. So again, we have these three ways of reading this passage. 
two flag option, the God flag on top option, or the God flag only option. I want to suggest each of those options gives Caesar too much power and doesn't give God enough power. Instead, Jesus points us to God and to himself. All these political logos that we've seen, we've been seeing are flags planted to claim power. None of these candidates are revolutionary enough. Jesus says something truly revolutionary that turns all governments and kingdoms upside down. Jesus is telling us that he is the revolution. So option four, the no flags, just a cross option. Jesus is the revolution. Again, the coin is blasphemous, so he can't be saying he's not saying. Just give it to Caesar, it's fine. And Jesus uses that revolutionary slogan. N.T. Wright talks about this, that it's a coded revolutionary slogan. After all, the kingdom of God is all about the one true God becoming king of the world, demoting the petty princelings who style themselves sons of God, high priests, or whatever. Jesus tells the crowd also to go give to God what belongs to God. That is everything. As Dorothy Day is reported to have said, if we rendered to God all the things that belong to God, there'd be nothing left for Caesar. Jesus is calling for a revolution that rejects Caesar. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is high priest. Jesus is Lord. There is no other. So again, let's go back to American Pie where Caesar's the boss. Caesar's doing these illegal things. So you start praying for Caesar. God, change his heart. And you go to Caesar and you say, look, Caesar... I like you, or I want to like you. Um, I'm praying for you. Look, this stuff is going to destroy you. And it's going to hurt the company. Caesar, of course, isn't interested. But maybe he could have repented at that point. Caesar decides to make your Bible study illegal. You, steep, you keep leading it in public, in the cafeteria. Eventually, you get, you get fired. But you keep coming back and leading the Bible study. What can he do to you now, right? You've already been fired. In fact, people are so interested by the fact that you keep leading the study that one of the board members comes and starts attending your study. And actually, you lead him to Christ. The board now has a board member who's come to Jesus. A few years later, you're still not working for them. You notice, you see Caesar on the street. He's, uh, he's been fired. He's had a whole bunch of legal trouble. And now that board member that you led to Christ is running the company. You overcame evil with good. Right? Caesar's gone. I want to suggest to you, Jesus doesn't escape the trap, the trap that the Herodians and the Pharisees are trying to set for him. Jesus walks right into the trap and explodes it. Just like he's going to do for the rest of this week. Right? In the Sadducees, they try and trap him. He walks right into it. Death itself. They're going to try and trap him in death. He walks right into death. And he defeats it. He explodes death. Death is no longer an enemy to God. Death is now a tool, a weapon to be used for God's purposes, for his glory. 
The Jesus revolution is a revolution against all the powers of this world, against Caesar and tyranny and death and evil and everything that opposes God. And here's the thing. It's a successful revolution. Caesar is dead. Jesus is still alive. Death has been defeated. Jesus is still alive. This is a successful revolution. Every nation will be thrown down. Every evil will be defeated. Jesus defeats all enemies. So if this is the revolution, if Jesus is the revolution, what does it look like? First, the leader of the Jesus revolution is Jesus. The Jesus who goes to the cross, that Jesus, he is the the leader of our revolution. We are followers in this revolution. If that's what our leader looks like, what should we look like? So Jesus is our leader. The worst Caesar can do is to kill Jesus. Jesus still wins. Don't forget it. Jesus is our leader. Second, the politics of the Jesus revolution is love. As Switchfoot has been telling us for 15 years, love is the movement. Love is the revolution. 1 Peter 2 says the same thing. Honor authority and be ready to die because in that way you show them that they are made in God's image and that he really is Lord and that your, your leaders are not. Our read of the week, in, uh, on the last page of your bulletin there, our read of the week, if you haven't seen these, take a look, is the elder statement on political involvement. And there's a bunch of them in the back. Um, I hope unless they all got picked up for service. Um, there's a bunch of them in the back. I, I want to suggest as an interpretation of that statement that the elders are calling for this politics of love. We will disagree as Christians, but our politics is love. And an early Christian leader says, choose therefore rather to suffer harm and to endeavor after those things that make for peace, not only among the brothers and sisters, but also among unbelievers. For by suffering loss in the affairs of this life, you'll be sure not to suffer in the concerns of piety and live religiously and according to the command of God. Our leader is Jesus. Our politics is love. Third, the weapons of the Jesus revolution are sacrifice, redemptive suffering, and faithfulness to Jesus. The cross destroys evil in a way that an atomic bomb never could. Each of the martyrs has done more to advance the cause of justice and to hold back injustice than any handgun ever can. Every faithful life does more to defeat God's enemies than a tank or a rocket. We are living sacrifices, as Romans 12 tells us. We are not to be conformed. We are not to take vengeance, but we overcome evil with good. We submit ourselves to God, and He transforms us. As our growth group leader's guide for this week says, the kingdom of heaven is taking over this world, not through our dominance, but through our service. This is a political revolution, but it uses very different tools than normal politics. Again, our leader is Jesus. Our politics is love. Our weapons are sacrifice, redemptive suffering, and faithfulness. Fourth, very quickly, the constitution of the Jesus revolution is God's word. We don't follow America's constitution or a law code. We follow God and his word. Fifth, the the resources of the Jesus revolution are the Holy Spirit. Our treasury is always full. There is no national debt. 
We have the power of God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. That power is in us. So, what are the things that belong to God? Everything. The temple in this moment belongs to God. The political situation in America is God's. Your business and your work belong to God. Everything is his. Nothing is mine. Everything is his. I don't have to be anxious or angry about the American political situation because Jesus is king. I can rest in his kingship, in his kingdom. He is Lord. He is ruling today. Those candidates for president, none of them are Jesus. And just as importantly, you and I belong to God. We are made in God's image. We are his. Nothing is mine. Everything is his. He owns my life. So should we pay taxes? If we listen to Paul and Peter in the early church, they do explain that generally we should pay taxes and honor and even submit to the king and the authorities. We do it not because we recognize them as kings. We do it because we recognize Jesus as king and that is the kind of king that he is. He's a submissive servant king, a humble king as we sang this morning. We submit because we follow a leader who loves and sacrifices himself for others. There may come a day when God calls us to refuse to pay a tax. That day is not about a big political fight or about taking up arms. That is a day of prayer and fasting and submission to Christ our King. Because we believe he truly is the king and his kingdom is the only true kingdom. I was given an example of that this morning. Um, I was getting ready to, to go to church, to come here, to preach. And I was, I was this is a big thing, right, for me. Um, a big thing to come and preach. And this sermon especially for me. Um, and my daughter was up early and and so I asked her, hey, do you want to come with me this morning to go to first service? Come with me early. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I was like, no. That was a bad idea. This is too important to have my daughter with me. She might mess it up for me, right? She might like make me run around and uh, she might get in my way. And... I, I went away for a minute and then thought about it. I was like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Right? This is too important to love your kid? Like, that's exactly backwards. Loving my kid is about the most important thing I can be doing. Preaching, you guys are secondary, right? <laughs> we are called to lay down our anger and our anxieties. My anxiety about preaching, but also my anxiety about politics. Because Jesus is king. There is no other king. The image of the king on the cross is the only political logo with any true realistic power. Jesus died for us. God raised him from the dead. So all power is his. He rules at the father's right hand for us. He is the object of our worship. He is our friend. He is the lover of our souls. He is savior. And he is also Lord and King today and forever.
Amen. Stand with me as I pray and please join me as I end with the most revolutionary prayer in human history. Father, all that we have and all that we are belongs to you. May we not seek to serve Caesar, but may we honor Caesar as a way of serving you. And more significantly, may we honor and worship and submit to Jesus, our Lord and King. Continue your work in us, making us new by the power of your spirit. May our lives be living sacrifices to you. May we bear your image and may we always give all of ourselves to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.